I try and look at any event like the five senses, right? So what are people seeing? What are they smelling? What's the ambiance? What are they hearing? So what music are you playing? First of all, are you ready? So you need to be ready for your guests. You want to be relaxed because your energy reflects on your guests. Welcome to the Kelly Limber Podcast. I'm your host, business mentor and personal brand strategist on a mission to inspire at least five people a day to take action, do something different and just show up as the best person that they aspire to be. Are you one of my five a day? I want to hear from you. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or come and say hi on Instagram, Kelly Lundberg Official or at Brand New Creators want to know what you've enjoyed and what it's made you do. What, how has it made you show up differently? Let us know. Today's guest is a longtime friend and luxury international event planner, Sarah Failing. Sarah has a unique reputation for flawless execution of premium events all over the world. Her attention to detail is outstanding and she's affectionately known as the spreadsheet queen. More of that in this episode. Whether you want to pull off a private party at home and want insider tips on how to make it extra special, to planning a wedding for 1,500 people, tune in to see what Sarah has to say. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. After all these years, you know, me doing podcasts and we're like, we must get you on the podcast. We must get you on the podcast. And here we are. It's so good to have you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And considering we both live in the same country most of the time, you're actually in France and I'm back in Dubai. What are you doing in France just now? Because I don't think you're holidaying. No, I am actually working from Lyon for the summer. I've just finished a really big event for NBC Universal in Cannes. And my next event is in Provence, which is a big wedding. So I decided to stay here for the couple of months of the summer. How nice, isn't this? This is technically the dream that people want, isn't it? To be able to to travel and have that flexibility to be able to work from anywhere. Let's take it back a few years and how, because that's the goal. How did you actually start? How did you get into the events industry? How did it all come about? So it all started with my wedding in 2004. And I started planning my wedding and looking for a wedding planner. And I couldn't really find anyone that I was happy with. So from there, I decided to do a wedding planning course. And then I launched my company two months after my wedding. Nice. And it was one of the first, wasn't it? Like in the region, in the UAE. Exactly. Like wedding planning wasn't really a concept. Like there was production companies and there was florists and then there's people trying to do a little bit of everything, but no, no real dedicated and accredited wedding planner. So, yeah, I was one of the first in the region, which was fantastic to be in there. It was 2000, yeah, autumn 2004 when I launched. Amazing. So, and I remember being at your wedding as well and the attention to detail. So it completely makes sense. You going, wow, this is the potential. And oh, as much yeah. as I know that you ended up hiring a wedding planner, because it was Ireland that you actually got married in. Exactly. I think there was still so much of your input into that rather than their input, whereas I actually think it's the other way around with what you do with clients now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm very detail-oriented anyway, and I'm a bit of a control freak, so I did want a lot of input in it. But I also wanted it to be a little bit of where I was living. 
in the Middle East. So yeah. I brought a lot of things back from the Middle East for the wedding. And, you know, I really wanted it to reflect my personality and which you know, my husband's personality, but it was a good representation or reflection of us both. And our wedding planner was fantastic. I mean, he was very accommodating to that. He flew out to Dubai to meet us. And he also brought stuff back from the Middle East for the wedding. So it was a real, very international affair, let's just say. Just interestingly on that front, not to kind of put you on, on the spot, all of those years ago, you had to planned all of the detail for your wedding. Yeah. What would you do differently now? Oh, that's a very good question. What would I do differently? I'd probably be a bit more relaxed, although I did very much relax on the day. I think I had all my stress up until the day, but I think I wouldn't, you know, sometimes it's easy to lose yourself in the details of the event instead of looking at the big picture, which is the fact that two people are getting married and that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what happens or the cake doesn't turn up, the flowers are half dead, whatever. The most important thing is that the two, two people are getting married. So I think I would um, be more focused on that than on all the little details of the day. But I had a spectacular wedding. Like I had my dream wedding. And to me, there's really very little that I would change in that. I was very fortunate. And yeah, I, I had the wedding of dreams, at least my dreams. Yeah. Everyone has their own dream wedding, but I had my dream wedding. So I always remember that piece of advice that you gave me. On my wedding day, do you remember what it was? Yes, yes. So take you want to tell moment. everyone what it is? <laughs> so I always tell my clients to have a conscious moment to, at one point in the day, just to pause and think, "This is the moment I'm going to remember forever." Because it's so easy; the day goes by like that. It's one of the quickest days of your life. Take that moment and just—that's it. That's yeah. your moment. That's the the moment that you're going to remember forever. And I think it's really important to do something that I'm, I'm so glad that I did. And if I can share that little piece of wisdom with all my clients, then yeah. Yeah, I remember doing that at mine as well. And I remember exactly which point it was. And I think it's an absolutely great tip. So before we get into the sort of the, the big, you know, the events, because I know now, you know, it's gone from weddings to sort of bigger corporate events. And I, I know that you do a bit of both, but for so many years, you were known as, the wedding planner in the region and you have planned like epic weddings like from from all nationalities and I think that's something that's quite interesting here mm -hmm. is that in the Middle East you plan like huge Indian weddings Arabic weddings what was the biggest wedding you've ever planned and um, that's a very good question because it's it's not even about this size because we, we can you know, plan up to like 1,500. I mean, even if it was 2,000, it's not really about the number of guests. It's about the planning. So what I always say, if, if you've got 20 guests, 200, 2,000 guests, it's the same amount of planning. You still need menus. You still need drinks. You need a venue. You need a cake, photographer, videographer. So on the day, of course, you need more people to manage that. But the planning and the amount of hours and depending on your client and how involved, how how much they are involved, how little they are involved, that determines the hours, which to me would determine how big the wedding is. So, but in terms logistically, in big, in terms of what most people would perceive as a big wedding, I would say 1,500 people. We did a royal wedding in Abu Dhabi. And, you know, just with the extra logistics of security and everyone handing in their mobile phones and 
having, you know, the secret service come and sweep the place with the dogs, like all of that impacts the production and it takes them much longer. And obviously with the size of the venue and what we had to do to, to make that an event space, because it was really an exhibition hall. I mean, it's a much longer build and, and tear down. But um, yeah, I'd say in terms of, of big weddings, that was... 100 people. Like that's a, that's a full-on <laughs> like concert type event. And, and for that kind of event, so for those that are maybe listening and maybe don't understand the different cultures of weddings, maybe we can yeah. talk a little bit about that because yeah. an Arabic wedding, and I imagine that one as well, the men and women were separated. Exactly. So um, for local Emirati weddings, the, the men and women celebrate separately. So I'm mostly involved in the women's wedding, and that's an evening affair. I always equate it to the Oscars because the, the dresses and the jewellery and the hair and the makeup are absolutely spectacular. And yeah, the, the bride, um, it's very much focused around a catwalk and a stage for the bride. And the groom is only there for maybe 30 to 40 minutes of the actual <laughs> wedding. So it is very much a, a ladies affair and a, and a men's affair. They celebrate separate and then they get together towards the end of the night with male relatives of the bride's family. So, yeah, it's, it's different, but it's, it's different for us, but it's obviously normal for them. So I yeah. would say, you know, it's, it's so interesting being a wedding planner or an event planner in the Middle East because we never know who's going to be on the other end of the phone. I mean, yesterday we had a briefing for a Pakistani wedding, but the bride lives between London and America. And it's very, very interesting that, you know, I'm going from the wedding in France, which is a big European affair, let's say, with the the bride and groom being from the UK, but living in the Middle East who are getting married in France. So it's yeah, truly international, I would say, what I do. So yeah, it's, it's great that I don't, I'm not repeating the same format or I just have one set of clients, one you know, niche. No, we plan all different types of events and weddings. So I mean, so not, yeah, and difference. You've got the sort of the Emirati wedding, so the, the men and women are separate. They come together for 30, 40 minutes. And then yeah. you've got Indian weddings. Now, if I'm right, that's like, that can be anything from what, three to five days of celebration? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the three main events are the Mendi, the Sangeet, and then the, the reception. So you'd be a minimum of, of three receptions. Sometimes the Mendi and the Sangeet are on the same day. One will be in, say, the afternoon and then uh, the Sangeet in the evening and then the reception the next day. But yeah, they're, they're really big, really big celebrations and every nationality is so different and the things that are important to one nationality may not be that important to another nationality and then you put that down to the individual as well like what is important to the couple what's important to the the family and who are the decision makers so I always try and try to find out from the beginning who am I dealing with am I dealing with the parents of the bride and groom or one or the other or am I dealing with the bride and the groom so who are the decision makers? And I think that's really key. And then what are the priorities for the decision makers? You know, I had one bride once who spent 75% of her budget on her wedding dress. So it doesn't leave you a lot of room to play with, does it? Yeah. <laughs> 25% of the budget that we had been told in the beginning to get everything else. So, yeah. So I would say, what are the priorities? Before we begin, so we, we know how much is actually allocated from the budget for each thing, or more or less. And then what about the Europeans? I guess you've got a lot of people flying into Dubai, or is it expats that live here? You know, it's a, it's a combination of both. I think Dubai is such a fantastic um, destination, and 
obviously people combine the the wedding with a honeymoon and maybe go on somewhere from Dubai, be it the Maldives mm. or somewhere else. You do get, I mean, I know Dubai is perceived as being expensive, but you get a lot for your money in Dubai. So I think it's very comparable for Europeans to come there and, and get married in Dubai in the guaranteed sunshine. So, and a lot of expats, especially in the expat community, you'll have the bride and groom potentially from different parts of the world. So it makes sense for them to get married in Dubai and then their families fly in rather than them choosing the bride's country, home country or the groom's home country. So it's a very neutral ground. So yeah, well, it's a fantastic destination and it's been home for yeah. 20 years. So <laughs> Sarah was my very, one of my very first friends and is now one of my best friends, but was one of my very first friends in Dubai. And I love that our friendship has spanned so long and we've kind of grown so much in, in that journey. Just to kind of wrap up on the sort of wedding front, most memorable experience? Oh, wow. But, you know, I, I know this is going to sound really cheesy, but I do believe this. Every wedding holds something special. And, you know, it's such a privilege. Like, God, I get emotional even thinking of it. But it's such a privilege working with people on the most important day of their life, you know, and they've That's chosen so me to be part of that. So, yeah, I feel very privileged in what I do. How nice. So when did you get... And every wedding is so special. So when did the sort of events for kind of corporate come about then? So, because I know you, can, you, you, you do less weddings now, but when was the first corporate event and how did they find out about you? So sorry, that was two, two questions there. Well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm trying to think of when the first corporate one was, but how I got to the corporate journey was that a lot of my wedding clients also own businesses or are captains of industry. And I think that when you demonstrate that you can handle a wedding under pressure, then you can definitely handle a corporate event. It's a different type of pressure, though, with the corporate events, because obviously you're representing a brand that isn't necessarily you as a brand, but also you have all the brand guidelines that you need to, to deal with. I mean, we did a, an event for a bank. And we did it for their Chinese New Year. So we were dealing with the Chinese office and we had a 78 page brief on the branding guidelines that could be wow. used. So, yeah, it was quite intense to make sure that everything was, you know, in line with their, their brand guidelines. So, so each, you know, be it wedding, corporate or social, everything you have to treat from the beginning and see again what their priorities, what are they trying to communicate? I mean, in a wedding, of course, there's different priorities, but at the end of the day, they're celebrating that they got together. But you know, with corporate events, you have to see what their objectives are. And if it's an internal event, if it's a B2B, B2C, every, every dynamic is different when it comes to the corporate side. But yeah, it's, a, it's really nice to have a mix. And I think what, what I really enjoy about the corporate side is that although I do weddings, I've done more corporate events abroad. So we're yeah, truly international with the corporate side. Um, how, so we just to, before we get fully into the the international part, you mentioned that you know your clients were the corporate have come through your wedding clients. Now you don't do any sort of traditional advertising, like you don't do ads, you don't do that sort of thing. So your clients find you through word of mouth. I mean, then, I would say exactly, exactly. Ninety nine percent, I'd say, of my business comes through word of mouth. Mouth. Every now and again, I will get an inquiry on my Instagram, or but it's it's normally word of mouth, and that will be from other clients, or it'll be from hotels that recommend us 
I mean, for right. example, Four Seasons, even when all the owners of Four Seasons came in, they asked us to do their event a few years ago when they launched. All the owners came in for a conference. So it's about building up relationships with existing clients. And, you know, in the beginning, the kind of myth, or at least it was to me, was that, you know, you, you're in weddings, you don't get repeat business, but you do get repeat business because... Or you'd hope you don't get repeat business in the sense that it's, it lasts forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I have done actually two weddings where I've done the bride's second wedding, which has been fantastic. But you also have other members of the family that are getting married. So yeah. you have sisters and brothers, cousins. So a lot of the recommendations I get are through a previous client, but maybe directly with the family again. And as I said, like, even if I had planned a wedding, then they may hire me the next time for a corporate event or social event, like a big birthday. Or, yeah, so you, you, you never know. But I don't really go down the traditional advertising route. It is generally word of mouth. And, and, and having just done this event in Cannes for NBC, NBC Universal, I'm now dealing with several more of their departments, even though that event was just with that one department. You know, they have since we that event was a huge success. It was a fabulous event. And now I'm going to be working, hopefully, with other departments on future events for them, which has been fantastic as well. So if someone's listening to this and they are thinking, right, well, how do I get word of mouth? Like, I mean, it, yeah. it takes time. I mean, you, you mentioned yeah. earlier, you know, 20 years in the Middle East. So, you know, mm -hmm. we have got we're looking at it at the other end, starting out, yeah. someone's listening. How do you start to build up a word of mouth business? So what I'd say is that you have to invest in people. I mean, people like your time. And a lot of my clients are extremely busy people. You know, as I mentioned before, captains of industry, they are running huge companies. They don't have time. They don't have very limited time. So you have to make sure that that time is used correctly. And I'm very flexible in terms of I don't close my laptop at six o'clock and that's it. I'm out the door. You contact me between mm -hmm. nine and six. My client wants to meet at 10 p.m. at night. I'll meet them at 10 p.m. at night. And I think also you have to exercise flexibility in terms of the time zones you work in. You know, my clients are um, in New York, L.A., London, France, all over the world. They're the major ones. So they work. I work with their working day, not them working with my working day. So, and I think that's really important. And I, and it's, it's not the same everywhere. I mean, one country in particular that I work a lot with, it is very rigid in, if you want to contact them, you contact them, their working hours, and it's almost offensive to contact them after 6 p.m. So I think that flexibility is key when you're building, you know, relationships and word of mouth. You know, if you're, if you're, I often think as well, like if I wasn't in the room, how would somebody describe me? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you want that right, person the to personal say? brand, yeah? Yeah, exactly. What do you want that person to say to somebody when they're describing you and how you plan their event or their wedding? And so I would behave or I would try and behave in the way that I want somebody to communicate my behavior. So, and I think that's really key. I mean, I think, and you have to be authentic. I mean, every wedding to me and every event is different. I don't churn at the same thing. I don't have a template. I like the kind of made to measure attitude that this is your event. It should be a reflection of you or your brand. And you have to invest time in that. And if you just want a like cookie cutter, copy and paste, then I'm definitely not the person for that. 
I really like that. How would you want someone to describe you? Because that just fits so nicely into that kind of personal brand piece. And people buy yeah. from people. So very yeah. much, and, you know, how you engage in it. So how would you like someone to be describing you? Or what would you <laughs> think that you would like them to be saying about you? I know, I I've like- known you for 20 years, so I know what I would say. But go ahead, what you would say. We can't say that on air. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I, it was actually funny because in at the event in Cannes, I did actually overhear to the senior management talking about me and not realizing that I was there. So that was very nice to overhear that conversation. But what did they say? What did they say? That I had basically gone over and beyond what I needed to do. And that um, mm-hmm. and it was very much a coincidence that I happened to be in the right place at the right time that morning and solved a problem that was really nothing to do with my event or anything, you know, even in that sphere. But I happened to be there and had a solution and they were like, they just couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, yeah, but I would like people to think that I, I gave it 110 percent, which I, I feel that I try to do all the time, you know, and I would want somebody to you know, I would say, would I want to hire me? Yes, I would want to hire me. Because, you know, when you, you think, I want to give to people what I would expect if I was hiring somebody in my position. Yeah, I hope that's answered the question. Oh, see, I would also add to that, which having holidayed with Sarah on numerous occasions, one of the things that I think makes you an excellent, excellent international event organizer is your attention to detail for the small print. I really think you are, and I say for the small print, the small details, whether it is that going above and beyond, whether it's reading that document from head to toe, whether it's finding the best restaurant when we go on holiday, or it's, you know, getting an amazing favours for, you're just, even just coming to your house sometimes. You know, if Sarah invites you around, she's like, oh, do you want to come for wine and cheese and you'd expect to kind of go up for wine and cheese and obviously Sarah has all the just the tiny little things making it look very Instagrammable I have to say so I would definitely add that in that you're so detailed and meticulous with it which makes you in my opinion stand out more than sort of any planner that I've ever kind of come across so I would add that to your your repertoire of how people would describe you. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Lord. I do love a travel spreadsheet. Sarah is known for her spreadsheets to, to the point of, I think mm. you were the first person that introduced me like maybe 20 years ago to a travel Excel spreadsheet and um, <laughs> how you lay it all. I don't even think I'd ever picked up an Excel spreadsheet 20 years ago. And you're like, I use this for all my planning for travels. And um, if you're not following Sarah on Instagram, you're Sarah, uh, Sarah Bailey. Sarah Jane, Jane. Sarah yeah. Jane and you will see, you know, this attention to detail in, in not just events, but in sort of your photography and your clothes. Like it really does seep through, in my opinion, every part of your personal brand. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. No, not, not, not at all. So I have another question because I, I think maybe other people might be thinking, or maybe just me. How do you make corporate events interesting? Because I think many people would be like, you know, corporate could be a bit dull, but you actually love doing corporate. And like you said earlier, they're very different from doing probably the most emotional day of your life. Yeah. How do you make corporate fun when, let's face it, people get invited to events, these kind of things all the time. What's your take on that? Well, the last corporate event I did, 
Oh, sorry. I tell a lie. It wasn't the last one. It was the one I did in June for clients that are based between London and New York. And it is a corporate event. It was corporate entertaining. So mm-hmm. the client gave me a brief. This is the location where it will be in the south of France. And what do you recommend we do over a weekend? So I basically put together my dream weekend between Cannes and Saint-Tropez and then pitched it to the client and said, this is what I would love to do. If I was being invited by you on this event. And they just loved the ideas that I put forward. So, I mean, yeah, we, we had um, a wine tasting in Chateau d'Esclan and then we had helicopters down to Saint-Tropez for lunch and then privatized the rooftop of a beautiful bar that evening overlooking, you know, the, the Riviera. I mean, and then we went out the next day and we went around this private island, the Laren Islands, where the monks live. I mean, it was just a really nice combination. But in any event, be it corporate, social or weddings, people make an event. People make mm. an event. And it's so key. You could put on the best event. But if you have the people that aren't interested, that don't want to be there, that are obliged to be there because of work, you are never going to get the event you want. You're never going to get that atmosphere that you want. So I always say people make the event. And as much as that event, the client asked me what I would like. I said, at the end of the day, this is what I'm suggesting. But you know your clients. What would they want from this? So mm-hmm. that's really key, I feel. What do they want? Put you aside, put your what you want to do, put your client and what they want to do aside. You're hosting this for somebody else. What would they want? But obviously retaining the, the ethos of your company or the, what you're trying to communicate or your objective of the event. Now we have an event coming up in November and it's a five-day event, destination event with people coming into Dubai. But it's a business event. Now, everyone that's making that journey of coming in wants to be there. Mm. So you already have the battle because those people want to be in that room. They want to be there for those five days of events. So then it's just about giving them that extra experience of what can you do to go over and beyond? What can we do to make this extra special and to give them, you know, an experience like no other? Because let's face it, most people may have already been to Dubai. So what can we do that's different? But, but I think, yeah, half the battle is knowing that the people that are there want to be there. And it's my case about attention to detail. You plan in that and create the weekend that you want to go on and all the touch points. I'm not surprised. They <laughs> absolutely loved it. Um, okay, so if you were, if a client came to you and said, yeah. right, I guess it kind of depends on budget, but Let's just say they've come to you, they've given you a budget. Where would you pick to do an event? Where in the world? Uh, is it corporate? Is it social? Let's do corporate. Let's do corporate international kind of event. I would say, God, it's, it's a really hard one because I normally go through a checklist and, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, finding out what they want to communicate and what kind of experience they want for their guests. You know, is it super luxury? Or do they want something that has more of a sustainable angle? Is mm-hmm. it like, you know, a bit of both? Do they want something that is going to involve like activities, but then like beautiful dinners in the evening? So honestly, it really depends on, I mean, I have my favorite places where I love going, but, but also I'd say it really, really depends on the client and the budget. Because if, if the destination, for example, isn't that important, then obviously there is, like more affordable, let's say, places to go mm-hmm. than other. Better value, I guess. Yeah, better value. So depending on what the 
the budget is, I would say, okay, this is your budget. This is the type of experience you want. Let's go here. Mm. So, so how, you know, I'm just trying to think on that sort of events and it was very broad. I was just curious if maybe you planned your, your dream, uh, you know, event with the cantrip, you know, the, the everything that you would want to do in that <laughs> sense. But I'm sure there's somewhere else when they come to you for the next one, you'd be like, this is where we should go next. So sort of on on the event front, and I know people ask for you to basically pull a white rabbit out of a hat sometimes. <laughs> what are some of the things that you've done that maybe you thought, I don't know how I'm ever going to make this happen, but you just have, or kind of like a, an experience where you've really gone, wow, didn't know how I'd make it happen, but it just did, you know? It just happened. Oh gosh. I mean, you know, it is a question that people ask all the time. And you know, what's normal to us or what's extraordinary to us isn't to somebody else, you know? I do remember once that we had water filtered through gold with gold particles in it. No way! Table. But this is like probably a good 12, 14 years ago. I mean, now, I mean, you get honey with, with gold leaf and truffle with gold leaf and it's kind of a... But then it was quite a, a big thing. And we've done lots of lots of weddings where we've had or events where we've had celebrity celebrity singers and Ooh. honestly that's been more of the challenge than you know the, the <laughs> event itself and and one particular it was a corporate event and we had one star and and I thought I just the way things happened how what he expected when he got here and the diva like antics let's just say I thought, I, I don't even know if he's going to get on the stage tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I like can imagine a lot of money would have been paid to get a huge quality of people. Mm. Huge amount of money. And it, it's not even the, the money that you pay their performance fee. It's, you, you almost need to double that for their rider and everything they want with it, you know, between personal security, cars on standby, 24 hours. And then they, they arrive and then they drop a whole other list of things that they expect you to literally pull out of a hat that isn't on their contract and isn't on their rider. But then it's that balance of trying to make the talent happy and not compromise their attitude when they go on stage that evening. So, um, yeah, it's, it, they've, we've had a few interesting, uh, yeah, entertainment, let's just say, the entertainment <laughs> on a few of the events. I reckon you've got a book in you. Oh, I think I do. <laughs> Retire first, though. But can you go under another name? Wasn't there one that was? They've done quite a few different industries, have they not? Where they've done insider secrets, you know? Was there not a true one? I'm sure there was like a a holiday wrapping one, and um, I don't know if there's ever been a wedding one. Was have a wedding planner years ago? I think I I think I saw one of those books, but I, I I will dispel another myth that it isn't as glamorous as people think it is. I mean, people think, oh, wow, it's, you know, you're in events. And, but I think it's really important to remember that you are working at this event. You are not a guest. And trust me, most of the time I want to be at a guest at a wedding that I've organized or an event that I've organized. But you're not. You're the one who's there throughout the setup, executing the entire evening and then there to make sure everything is taken down properly. So and, I would and you say, have a rule as well, like you are the last to gold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I really like when the last guest goes, then I go. So I'm very, very particular about that because I feel that, you don't, you know, you don't walk out halfway through other work or other jobs 
You know, why would you do it? You've put all this time and effort into planning this incredible event and then to leave, say, after the cake cutting or um, after the first dance or no, I leave at the end. You do not know what will happen in that last couple of hours that could ruin your reputation because somebody else's, yeah. you know, somebody else not doing what they're supposed to do. So I'm, I'm very particular about that. And, and I'm probably quite particular with the people that I hire and my expectations of the suppliers and, and how they conduct their behavior and what they wear. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are representing somebody else, you know, that they have to, I feel that sometimes the, that has to be, people have to be reminded of that. This is not our event. This is not our gig. This is not our concert. This is somebody else's biggest day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's easy for other people's egos to get lost in that. So we've talked about big events. We've talked about 1,500 people at a wedding. I don't even think I could invite. I don't, I don't know that many people. Let's take it a little bit lower. Okay, let's kind of wrap up for those that are listening that are maybe going to have a wee dinner party or invite some friends like, like I am this weekend. What kind of tips would you give to general people who, who are not having 1,500 people around in royalty? Like, What are some of the things that kind of make and I say an event because an event like kind of more than two people what what are little things that could be a little Sarah touch that you'd be like oh that's kind of nice today well I try and look at any event like the five senses right so what are people seeing what are they smelling what's the ambiance what are they hearing so what music are you playing what is the first of all are you ready so you need to be ready for your guests like one of my pet peeves is, you know, if you get invited to somebody's place and they're still running around or they're not relaxed or only in the shower because they didn't have time. Like you want to be relaxed because your energy reflects on your guests. So I, I would like that. that, like be prepared. Yeah. Like if you set the table up the day before, set the table up the day before. Give yourself, you don't know what the day of the event will throw at you. I'm always very much be as prepared as you can. You don't know what will happen. That might take 10 minutes of an emergency call from work. Who knows what will happen? And then when you walk in, what do people smell? What do they see straight away? And what are they hearing? What's the music? And I'd say, yeah, I say if you can kind of go with the five senses and, and that the, the event is a reflection, of, a reflection of you, but also if it's an intimate party, then find out what the guests like. Like, I would like to say I will serve drinks that I know my guests are going to enjoy, that I would have like at least something on the cheese board. Let's not say menu because I'm not very good in the kitchen, but <laughs> on the table that my guests are going to enjoy eating. You know, so if you can do that, I'm not saying if you've got 100 people around, you can't cater to everyone's taste. But if it's a small event then or a small party, then try and find out something that you know that they're definitely going to enjoy. And like that with the, the playlist. I mean, I try not to inflict my, my taste of French music on everyone all the I time. Think that's a whole nother podcast for another day. <laughs> and music, which to be fair, you're very good when other people come round, you keep it general. But if you're one of the last to leave or you're on holiday with her for two weeks, is Yvonne, who actually I interviewed episode, I think she's episode four or five. The three of us have gone on holiday many a time. and been privy to your playlist of random music <laughs> shall we just say it's not everyone's taste that I will admit <laughs> eclectic, shall we say eclectic exactly exactly and that would really be 
they would be my tips for it. And, and I would say also, you know, it's easy to get caught up as well and, and overwhelm. And if you have a theme that you go out and you buy all this crockery and, and plates and everything for a theme, I would say get one really nice set of tableware and then accessorize, have a different color napkin or a different themed napkin. Mm-hmm. And then you can change it. If you're into decor and you enjoy that side of things, just invest in one really good, you know, table setup, tableware, and then accessorize. Change the thing by accessorize. I really love that tip though about the five senses and mm-hmm. looking at an event from the five senses, you know, as in how you would walk into somewhere and all the touch points. It's actually something, mm-hmm. funnily enough, it's music. But for me, if I go somewhere and the music's not kind of, say to my right. taste, it kind right. of, you know, it, or there's no music. I find it really hard when I yes. go to someone's house and they've got no yeah. music on. And it's like, because I have I play music con- constantly in the house. So when I go yeah. to someone yeah. else's house, I'm like, this is weird. You know, that to me yeah. is a big point. And exactly. you're that running late. So. And, and also the level of the the level of the music as well is, is if you've got a party and you can't hear yourself think or speak to somebody, yeah. know, that's a, that's another, that's another issue entirely. But yeah, I'd say, you know, and at the end of the day as well, it's that you have the right group of people together. If people that you think are going to get on. Mm, so don't just invite all your friends, be selective. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, honestly. And I, I do feel that, you, you know, you take the people that you think are going to get on because you know, that's going to create a great atmosphere. Yeah, true, 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 true. You're amazing tips. I have absolutely loved having this sort of focused time on just even learning about things in business. I mean, you even helped me with my wedding and I didn't even know about the five senses. So it's just, I learned <laughs> something. This is what I love about yeah. podcasting and having that that mm. concentrated space is that you do get yeah. to learn so much from other people. So mm. where can people find out about you? Where can they see your fabulous frocks, these amazing events that you plan? <laughs> which the myth is it's all for the gram. It's not as glamorous. I have seen your feet at the end of a what, 16 hour shift where it, yes. they're, they're killing, they're killing. I, I yeah. know they are. And so where can people find you? So um, at Sarah Jane Failing is my Instagram. And that's really probably the best place to find me. I'm still working on my new website. So um, that's a work in progress. But at Sarah Jane Failing, you'll get me on there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I know everyone's listening now is going to be like, right, what can we host to plan and how can we make it to Sarah's standard if she was going to be our guest? Thanks again. It was great having you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to this episode where you inspired what was one of your key takeaways that you can action. Tag me, tag the guest in Instagram. I love to know what really got you going in this episode. If you want to know more about how you can take your personal brand to the next level, then book in for a call with me. Click the link in my bio, work with Kelly, answer the questions and learn a little bit more about how you can take your brand and business to the next level. We've got a couple of ways that you can work with us, whether it's through our brand new Accelerator Mastermind, which just been launched to one-to-one and even working with the extended team on your digital assets. If you're looking for branding when it comes to your website, social media graphics, one of the things that we're doing a lot just now is email signatures. 
just elevating that email with a professional looking signature at the end. We also have some incredible reviews. And did you know this week? So this is great because often when this happens when you first start a podcast, but we are over a year in, we are still, Kelly Loomer Podcast is still in the top 100 podcasts on entrepreneurship in the UK and top 15 in the UAE. And that is thanks to you, you that are out there, that are reviewing this, that are listening to it and sharing it with your friends. I appreciate it and I appreciate you. Thank you so much.